We're a pioneer church based in Loughborough in the UK. Our mission is to make disciples to establish heaven on earth. Uh, when it says kingdom of heaven and creativity, is there anyone here who thinks, I've come to it but I'm not creative? A few people like that, yeah. That, that kind of sense of, yeah, I wouldn't sound, I wouldn't call myself creative but I'm here. Um, uh, is there anyone here who would say, <clears throat> you know what, I think I'm quite artistic? Is there anyone here who would say, I think I'm quite artistic? A few people who would say they're quite artis- artistic. <clears throat> Some people, who, a few people who say, I don't think I'm creative. Because we've got different words going on here, haven't we? Sometimes when we hear the word creative, we automatically might assume a sort of artistic gift. Oh gosh, I'm not that. Um, I, I do want to talk us to talk a little bit about artistic gifting and crafting gifting. But at the same time, I want to make sure that this is about creativity in all its forms. And actually, the Bible you know, says we are made in the image. When, when the Bible says we're made in the image and likeness of God, it says it in the middle of this chapter all about creating and making. And that's all we know about God at that point in chapter 1 of Genesis. We kind of know that he's pretty inventive. He's very big. Um, and he says stuff and it happens. And he does stuff. And then we're made in his image and likeness. And it's in the, then when you look forward in the rest of the Bible, you can see other stuff about God, about his likeness, about his character. Um, uh, and you can then go back, okay, that's what his, that's what, um, his character is. Or um, this is who, how we might represent God to the rest of the world as his image. Um, but really, if you're reading it just all in the first page of the Bible, what we see is God is incredibly inventive incredibly creative, obviously loves doing all this, and human beings, male and female, are made in his image and in his likeness, so therefore we are all creative, we all make stuff, we all do stuff, um, and I, I um, hinted this morning, we'll, we'll go through some of those words that I hinted at earlier this morning, just to unpack them a bit, so that whoever you are, whether you call yourself an artist, or whether you call yourself an engineer, or a mathematician, or none of those things, just a person, who happens to be in the, whatever word this is called, um, that actually you go, okay, now I get some of these words now, and actually this is me. This is very much me, and this is God as well, and therefore the Spirit of God in me wants me to know this, pursue this, make the most of living like him and expressing kind of godness in whatever I do. So I hope this is for everyone, but we might go down some routes, but it might be nice to hear from some of you about some of the areas that you feel you're working in or living in or happen to rejoice in or feel compelled to get get involved within or what you appreciate in life and in the world around you. So we can kind of hear from one another and, and then encourage one another in being the image of God. And there's been a whole lot of really interesting theology done around this phrase being made in the image of God. It's been really popular, a kind of uh, a Christian anthropology that has been developing, uh, which is fascinating. And so I think that's probably what we're going to be looking at today, is theological anthropology. Who are we? As we look at the Bible, as we understand... um, the big picture and who God is, 
what does that mean for us, whoever we are? That's the, that's the plan. And we'll, we'll spend a bit of time in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and we'll interact a bit. Just a, a bit about me. I am a, uh, a, uh, I'm a church leader, I'm a pastor, minister, whatever. Um, so I spend a lot of time with people, and uh, we're a church. I'll talk tomorrow. We do loads of projects in the community, which is really exciting. We've got a number of different locations and different towns around where we live. Um, but that's what I do, and that's what I've been doing for the last, I don't know, 25, 30 years. Um, I, my, my background before that, and then sort of interspersed with that, before church took over like it does, was I was involved in theatre. So, my my I love I still and I still really love theatre and and I, I was directing and performing and, and and also working theatrically with other artists or other contexts so plays but also what does theatre look like in you know churches theatre often isn't it when you come together and you you you're looking for that moment where everyone goes ah oh, this is great the presence of God is here how can I Enable that moment somehow. As a church leader, what can I do? Well, there's things I can say, but also I can have, you know, there's, I can have musicians playing certain chords at the right time, which everyone goes, <gasps> oh, I'm trying to do that chord. <laughs> you know, that person on the bells, going, like, oh, Holy Spirit's just come into the room because of that chord or because of that key change. Um, the lighting, that's quite helpful, isn't it? Not in this room, it's horrible. Um, but there's all sorts of things about you know the environment. Of course, we can worship anywhere in any environment. But um, something you can have people that are not religious in the slightest walking into an environment that is has been curated really well. It might be a warehouse environment, or it might be a cathedral that's like 500 years old, and it's like, oh gosh, this is good. So and I'm so that's what I've been with my. I've kind of changed my the, the, my tack towards church stuff, and I do spend time with, um, with artists, uh, whether they're painters or musicians or actors or whatever. I'm quite interested in artistic pursuits and encourage, you know, particularly I want to come alongside and encourage artists and encourage those who are using their creativity in that way. Bearing in mind, um, being creative doesn't mean you're an artist or an artisan. Um, so I also want to talk about all the ways that we're creative to make sure that everyone kind of we find our place so um, let me just pray and then we'll look at the Bible chat a bit Lord I thank you that you've made us in your image it's just brilliant male and female made in the image of God the likeness of God it's amazing to be a human being it's just amazing and now to be filled with the spirit to know you intimately and deeply, uh, it's wonderful. And I pray, God, as we talk today, just lead us by your Spirit to make some discoveries, to end up worshipping you somehow um, by the end of uh, this uh, time together. And, Lord, I pray that you would be leading us as well. I, I pray, Lord, for your word, your prophetic spoken word, to be heard in our hearts. And if you've got something for us, if you want us to be... Um, Involved in some way in your pursuits, Lord, if you've got something you want us to understand in a fresh way, um, any kind of revelation, then by your spirit, Lord, I pray you'll be working among us. Amen. So, Bibles on our devices, as they are. 
first line of the Bible. I'm, I'm reading from, uh, it's a bit clunky, New American Standard Version of the Bible. Um, it's a bit clunky, but it is a bit more word for word accurate. Um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's like a title, really. Um, the earth was formless and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Just, just good stuff here. The earth was formless and void. And those two words, the Hebrew for those two words are poetic. So when they, they, when they come together, they sound like one another. And Hebrew is a very poetic language. I don't really know. My mum studied Hebrew, so she knew Hebrew. Uh, um, I never really learned much from her, but she did used to talk about the poetry and all. Anyway, there's these poetic words, um, bohu and tohu, so they kind of sound the same. Um, and uh, what we've got here also is a description, very specific, because every word has been thought about as it's been put down. Formless and empty. Uh, and that's the state of the beginning. Now, we're getting this God who we're made in the image of. He's going to do something with a stuff that is formless and empty. Now, how stuff can be formless and empty when it's stuff, I don't know. But anyway, that's how it is. He's got some stuff that has kind of come out of himself. It's formless and it's empty. So it needs some form and it needs to be filled. And then we won't go into loads of detail, but if you look at the days of creation, we've got day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six. And there's a, there's a kind of... It does go towards a, uh, a sort of pinnacle where God goes, oh, it's very good, and obviously male and female are kind of right at the end, and that makes male and female sort of at the pinnacle in, in some ways. But you can, you can read it in other ways as well. When you look at day one and day two and day three, he forms stuff. So he's forming the heavens, and um, he's forming the seas, and he's forming the land, and there's some kind of vegetation on the land. And then day um, four, five, and six basically correspond to day one, two, and three. So it's not, you know, sometimes people go, oh, I don't believe in this account because day one, day two, day three, it doesn't make sense. Well, it's not meant to make sense necessarily just chronologically, although like I say, there's a, there's a sort of, it's going in a direction. It does make sense if day one and day four are paired together and day two and day five and day three and day six, it gets, makes loads of sense. Because God forms in day one, and then in day four, he fills what he forms. And the same in day two, and the same in day three. So actually, um, you've got formless and void in verse two. This is the stuff. What does God do with this stuff? Well, he, he does a lot of forming. So um, he says this, he, he kind of, he's, there's the, the space, the empty spaces. There's the sky, there's the heavens. And it's quite hard to know when it says heavens. What do you mean, God? Do you mean the spiritual heavens where you are? Do you mean the spiritual heavens where the angels are? Do you mean the stars, that bit of heavens? Or do you mean the sky? We, I mean, for us, you look, look up to the heavens, we might mean the night sky. But we know the birds fly in the heavens, so that's the sky. We know that angels live in the heavens, so that's, the, that's you know. So it's, it's all a bit vague. It's deliberately vague, I think, because it's pulling out of us a sense of the heavenly. Whether that is the freedom of the bird or the freedom of me just leaping up in the air, or the heaven with the stars, which are like, oh my goodness, that is inaccessible, but it's kind of there. Or the beyond heavens, there is a spiritual life, there's a spiritual something, and I know it, and I know where you live, and it's kind of um, sort of pulling us. So God is forming these layers of heavens 
for us. And um, they don't just stay there, he fills them. So day four, let's, um, let's fill this expanse out here with a load of, you know, a load of lights, a load of, you know, the sun and the moon, this kind of thing. Now I know, so we're not looking at this as a necessarily a scientific thing of this came first and then this came. We're looking at um, how does God do this? He loves forming and he loves filling. Now that's the same with us. We love to form things. We absolutely love to, you know, whoever it was who decided on this weekend away and decided on the timetable. There's a lot of forming that's going on there. Who loves organising stuff? Does anyone love organising timetables? And, you know, we could do this then. So there's some, there's some yes and there's some... Mm, no. Who loves organising like a timetable or that kind of thing? Planning a, a day. Just a few, a few planners. There's a lot of forming going on there. What would fit well? What do we do well? I, uh, both Bev and I were really struck by how lovely it was to go into those prophetic groups at that particular moment. Whoever, if you do that every year, brilliant, you're amazing. If you just, I don't know when you do this. But anyway, I just thought, wow, that's really good forming. That was a great idea. And then what happened is we go, as the participants, we go, okay, this is here, there's this now, this hour, whatever. We get, and there's all these numbers, and you get into numbers, you know, it's all been done, you get into numbers. And then we're actually praying for one another. Now we're filling this time. Thank God someone formed that time for me to fill. Both lots are good. If you didn't fill it, oh, it's a bit boring. No one's done it. They've all just gone off abseiling or whatever. But actually, someone formed it. A lot of people filled it. Man, that was a good hour. Wasn't it? And it, even looking around, it felt good. It looked good. It felt good. This is, this is what God does. So he, he, This is how God loves to do. He loves to form some stuff. He loves to fill it with things. And so, obviously, when you think of, I don't know, someone, like if you have got a craftsperson and a, you know, a classic thing, in my mind, it's like forming a pot. I went to see a potter the other day in Normandy. How romantic is this? It's just really <laughs> in this little kind of lovely house, this Norman house, and she's got her own little studio, and there's a gallery, and you buy things, and I did buy things because I'm really a sucker for that kind of thing. She's got this wheel. The, the, the potter who takes some clay, it's a bit like verse 2, takes some clay, gets the, gets the energy going, just to, you know, whatever it is. I did this at school, I think. And then, you, you know, you put your, you know, and you form this bowl out of it. It's like, wow, that's amazing. That's, um, that's great. And so there's, there's a, the way that, um, the way that Adam is formed in chapter 2 is that word, actually, that's used elsewhere in the Bible for, for like a pot of forming some stuff. Like you get your hands on some clay and you, I don't know, there's, there's, there's this pressure. There's obviously when, you, when it's spinning around, you've got that pressure as well. And then you've got your pressure and you're putting the water on. And you must have an idea as well. If you're a good potter, you've got an idea. When I did it at school, it was, you know, when it just goes blah, 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 like that, just spins around, it's horrible. That's what happened to me. But you've got an idea of what you want, of how you're doing it. Uh, this is what God's doing. That's what he says. And in, in, um, it's formless and void. And God is going to get his hands on this stuff. You get your hands on stuff. I want to, I want to get my hands on this. Most of us want, want to do that. Like we might, if, you, if you've got kids, you might say, oh, I want to get my hands on you. Because <laughs> you're really annoyed uh, with them. But it's, it's expressing something. Something's not right. I want to make it right. 
I want to get my hands on that thing. Oh, the way they did that. Um, actually, in church, we do this a lot, don't we? You know, when we're, we're, we're pretty good critics in church, aren't we? Um, oh, they did it like this. If I, you know, just let me in there. If I get my hands on that, I can just sort that out the way they do that. And, uh, we, we do that with things. I, you know, I used to, I would sometimes go to my kids' primary school or even secondary school stuff. I went to, we went around the secondary school seeing which one would be best for our eldest son. And the head teacher would do a talk. I couldn't hear what the head teacher was saying. There's no, they're not using a microphone, they're not projecting their voice. It might have been good. I'm thinking, as a church leader who has to project their voice, I'm thinking, this is really annoying. I want to get hold of you and I want to tell you how to do this because the rest of the day has been brilliant. I want to bring my son to the school. Now you, head teacher, have just failed me because I haven't got a clue what you're talking about. You're mumbling. You're mumbling. I want to get my hands on you. Have any, does anyone else feel like that about something? But in life, you know, you go along and go, I could, ah, just give me, I just want to sort that out. The way they're doing the car parking here, it's rubbish. If I, I could just sort out the car parking. It's inbuilt in us. This is creativity. I know often it comes out of a grumpiness. Sadly, our creativity emerges out of a grumpiness of, oh, it could be better. But the thing that is emerging is good. You need to direct it, because if it's directed by grumpiness, it can end up being quite critical and quite annoyed and annoying. But the thing inside that goes, oh, I could do that, this is a good thing. This is the getting my hands on, and it's like the forming that's going on. And the filling... We all just want to fill stuff. We, we're all just about, how do I fill my... Is there, are there, is there anyone retired in the room here? Uh, yes. Yes, okay. <laughs> so that means you do nothing in your day. You just kind of... <laughs> okay, so that's not true. Because I'm thinking retirement. Bring it on. I get up, I'm, you're retired from paid work, and then you, well, you have breakfast late, 9, 10, whatever. <laughs> Um, then what do you do? Watch TV? What, what, how, what do you do with your time? Just means you get tired. Retired. You fill your time. And often retired people say to me, I'm busier now. I'm busier now than I ever was. Well, that's true, probably. You know, because we love to fill time. We love to fill spaces. You look at, there, there are some people that go, um, there's an, you know, you, you move into a house, it's all empty and whatever, and we fill it. And we want to fill it. I want to fill, I know what, I know what picture to put on the wall. Oh, that chair would go really well there. We, we just, we just want to fill spaces. We want to fill social spaces. We, we're just wired in this way. This is creativity. It's just lovely to do this. It's because God does this. He loves to fill a space, loves to fill a vacuum. And um, notice on, uh, as well in that verse, uh, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. It could be, literally, it's big wind. Because, obviously, these are the first few verses of the Bible. So, um, uh, spirit is wind, or breath. It could be wind. God is big. Elohim is just another word for big. You could say, well, there's a big wind. Now, when you look at the rest of the Bible, and you see when big wind turns up, often it's about God himself. And this is hovering over the waters. And you look at, you look at other aspects of the, when the spirit turns up and, um, and have a spirit described, this hovering as an energy um, that the spirit of God is described like a bird who, who uh, with her wings will, will beat her wings over her nest to bring life 
to these little birds in the nest. This is, bring, this is God bringing light to something that is, at the moment, it's, a, it's formless and void. There's, there's potential in it. The Holy Spirit, like a wind, so think of a raging wind, just energy here. That, that we can harness the wind and make electricity now. So we're talking power here. The Spirit of God hovering, same word as flapping, a bird flapping its wings. So it's like a, so it's not, um, it's not just like hovering like Jesus hovering two foot above the, you know, when we think of Jesus just going around hovering. It's, a, it's an, an energetic hovering, this is. There's, I imagine, and then in the rest of the Bible, when you get the Spirit hovering in his ear, it's like really noisy. Um, Day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes, big wind, really noisy, really energetic, there's loads of fire. We're talking energy here. And which is, which again, so we think, okay, so I made in the image of God, the likeness of God. So there's an energy to me. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm not just kind of going, okay, I'm a potter and I'm just doing this. No, I'm, I'm getting at something, there's energy here. I want to make something happen and you've got force uh, in you and your force translates to something else, your power into something else and it brings it and we love bringing things to life just oh, i want to make this thing really work so who here likes um lighting fires making fires anyone like making fires yeah brilliant isn't it making fires is brilliant you know you, can, you you're so i'm really bad at making fires i just don't seem to be able to get i've got friends who are just great they get the kindling great um they they're, they're kind of get the, the airflow great and it's just roars and whatever, but there is something about making a fire so good. That's what we've got here. This is like the Spirit of God. Making a fire. How do I get all the things in place? And then there's going to be a roar of energy. And we, we like to do that. We like to... Um, even revving the car is quite exciting. <laughs> Honestly, back in the old days where cars were a bit more revvy and you actually had to... And I remember having a car that... Um, it would stop if I didn't rev it. I had to keep the revs up. And that meant I had to always have my, if I was braking, I had to have my, my toes on the brake and my heel on the accelerator. And I would then press the clutch down as I'm braking, rev the engine with my heel to keep the revs up so the car wouldn't conk out, because it would always conk out if you lost any revs. But it's really exciting. <laughs> I just love driving like that. Oh, this is so brilliant, driving like this with my... This is so brilliant, I love it. I also hate it. I want a better car than this stupid car I've got, but I did love it. There's something about living like this that is really exciting. The, the energy, and it's because of God. God was there, hovering, beating his wings, spirit beating his wings over this thing, and then look what happens. So, um, kingdom of heaven and creativity, it's, it's built into us. There's an excitement. There's an energy. We want to form, we want to fill, whatever it is. Um, we just want to get our hands on whether it's people or systems, or whether it's clay, or whether it's paint and paper, whether it is numbers, we just want to get on this stuff. Which is why we get excited about pursuits and hobbies. And general here would say that their hobby, they've got an interest that's more interesting than their paid work. Anyone got do anything that is more interesting than their paid work? Or not? Equally. What's your paid work? <laughs> I 
patients do stuff better. Okay. Uh, and what's the hobby you were thinking of when you said... I'm renovating a 1950s aeroplane. <laughs> <laughs> that is about the best thing I've ever heard from a hobby. That is like... Wow. Oh, wow. Renovating a 1950s aeroplane. And you're helping organisations get better. Do stuff better. That's interesting, isn't it? Because it's... <gasps> Yeah, they're, well, they're both the same thing almost, aren't they? They're, they're, it's interesting, isn't it? I know one is kind of, you're dealing with practical stuff, the other you're dealing with people and systems and whatever, but actually, the impulse from you is exactly the same. I just want this thing to be better. Um, it's just, you, you are Genesis chapter one. You made an image of God. You are, because he takes stuff and he goes, I want this to be better. I've got some, some stuff here. I just want it to be better. I want it to run better. And then he says to, you know, so then he's breathing to Adam and Eve going, you know, off you go. It's basically do exactly what you're doing. And sometimes we find, some people find their work, they're not as thrilled with their, if they've got paid work, uh, as with stuff that interests they've got. And other people, they pursue an interest. They go, oh, I wonder if I could make a living out of this. Because actually this is me. It's well worth thinking about. What, what do you know that, what is the creative aspect of it? What, what, how have you been made of God's image? What makes you tick? What do you love? It's well worth asking that question. Do you go, what do I love? Because actually it's part of our worship. It's doing what we love is part of our worship. And um, not that you have to have a job that you love, not that it's condemning that, but it actually uh, it may well be the Holy Spirit is whispering to us, going, you're made like this. You're not really able to express it as much as you want to. What, can I help you? with some twists and turns, getting into a place where you can spend some time and some energy doing what you love doing. Maybe you get paid for it, maybe you won't get paid for it, but actually it'll do you good and it's praise. And then that overflow of that praise is going to do other people good as well. Which is why worklessness is a really bad thing for human beings, being out of work. And if you're out of work, I, I used to work with people who are long-term unemployed. After six weeks, this was like in the late 80s, early 90s, there was a whole, remember there was that, you know, very good night work. Um, basically it was, if after six weeks you haven't got a job, you were not, in those days you were not going to get a job because you'd lost all hope. That's, kind of, that's how the government saw it, they'd done all these investigations. And so I was working with people who had mental health problems, which meant they found it even harder to get jobs, to try and help change them and their psyches so that they could then have the confidence to move into work. But we need work, whether it's paid or not. And the create, so what we're looking at here, Kingdom of Heaven creativity is just doing the stuff we're built to do, which is, work sometimes sounds like a bad word. It's not a bad word, it's a really good word, which is why the Bible uses it for worship as well. It's a good thing. It's a really good thing. So our work, whether we are working for free at home, working, looking after our home, looking after our family, looking after a relative, or we're paid for it, this is all part of our creative, um, creative kind of stuff. So, um, and just to just to make a point now, if I forget, the next time Spirit of God, um, that comes up again in Exodus. This time it's very very obvious. God says, I, we're going to do this tabernacle thing. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be amazing. Basically, the tabernacle, the design of the tabernacle, if you look at how it's designed, is the same as the design of the Garden of Eden and, and Eden and the world in Genesis chapter 2. And it's the same as the temple. It's the same thing if you look. And, 
Um, so God is basically saying, right, we're going to have a mini version of the Garden of Eden. It's going to be in this terrible desert, but don't worry because you're going to meet with me here just like they used to meet with me in the Garden of Eden. It's going to be absolutely brilliant. Um, we need the Holy Spirit involved because he was involved in chapter 1. Uh, and the Holy Spirit, the, the, the Spirit of God, same phrase as in Genesis chapter 1 happens in Exodus. Spirit of God, I have an, I have the Spirit of God has come upon Bezalel, this guy who is going to, I've anointed him to be creative in just about everything you can think of. So, and then you see what he's doing and he's, he can do tapestry and he can do leather stuff and he can do gold, he can do jewellery. He's basically going to make his tabernacle amazing. Um, and him and his friend Eliahab and then all the other people that have been anointed as well to do this because we're going to recreate the Garden of Eden here in this desert. Uh, and then people can meet with me. And I, I, I think that this, that, so therefore, Spirit of God, okay, Spirit of God, beginning, Spirit of God, Bezalel, Spirit of God, me, is because he wants me to be involved in, it's a, it's a city actually now, because there's so many people, but a garden, in creating a garden city where people can meet with God and using who I am, what I've got. Uh, he's anointed me in all kinds of different ways you in all kinds of different ways to basically attend to making this place beautiful uh, to, to making a great environment to forming a great environment to filling it with lovely things whatever it is, whoever you are whatever your background he's anointing you with his Holy Spirit to do this this is creativity in the kingdom of heaven to, to have, and have a vision of oh, I wonder what um, this garden city can look like you know, what's it about, what do I and for some of us, it's going to be about stuff. For some of us, it's going to be about systems. For some of us, it's going to be about people. For some of us, it's going to be about the earth. Whatever it is, you kind of know deep in what makes you tick. And the Holy Spirit has anointed you, yes, to do all that, you know, to speak in tongues and prophesy and all those kind of things, but also to build this garden system, to do a, to do a bezel thing. So this is, um, I think it's really important stuff. It's not about just being an artist, it's about being who I am, in the image of God, and getting down to it. Because then, God will fill this place. And now we've got a great environment where God is going to meet with people because of what I do. So, yes, because you're helping organisations, that's really great. But yes, because you're renovating a 1950s aeroplane, that, that is no less godly or kingdom of heavenly than the bit where you're helping an organisation run, which is obviously sound, you know, sounds really helpful and useful. Sometimes we get a bit, I stumble a bit with stuff that doesn't look useful to God or to people. Oh God, what, how come I'm not a doctor? How come I'm not a social worker? I wish I was a bit more useful. How come I really like going and watching a play? Because that's not really very useful, God. And it's annoyed me at times really used to annoy me but actually I realise now that all these things that, that when the Spirit of God anoints me to do something I love doing then the Kingdom of Heaven is there so the Kingdom of Heaven on your aeroplane, the Kingdom of Heaven all around you, I think I, you know, I think God, I know that um, there's a lot of aeroplanes that are like, were designed for war and all that sort of thing and there's a whole ethical argument around this but I think as people as engineers get to it on aeroplanes I just reckon God is going, wow, this is fantastic. If God made the birds and they're flying in the heavens, 
And I bet he was wondering, right, how long is it going to be before human beings get up there? Because I've made them to want to get up there. They're going to want to, because that's how I've made them, because it's the heavens. They just want the heavens. How long is it going to be? And so he's waiting for the Wright brothers to come along, isn't he? And then everyone else, and he said, I bet he's just going, right, now he's going, right, who's going to get, the, who's going to get some electric planes out there, because we've got to stop using all this fuel. Who's going to be that person who does really great electric planes that can, you know, it's like, I bet God's really excited about this. And therefore, anyone who's involved in that process, they can be involved in God's delight, people's delight, their delight, kingdom of heaven is there. The kingdom of heaven is there for people who work at Boeing, or work at Rolls-Royce engines in Derby or whatever. Kingdom of Heaven is that. And, it's, um, and therefore, once we know, okay, I'm doing something that God has gifted me to do, then we start worshipping, then we're filled with the Spirit, then whatever we're doing and whoever we're doing it around is going to experience something of the Holy Spirit, something of the Kingdom of Heaven. It's very evangelistic to be doing a play. It's very evangelistic. Because if you're in the zone with God, and you're doing on this plane, that means you're going to be filled with the Spirit. The kingdom of Heaven is going to be around there. Anyone who comes into that vicinity is going to start experiencing something in the presence of God. It's good stuff. So if, you, if you're wired as an evangelist, I hope that this is going to excite you because I think this is the most evangelistic thing going is when human beings start getting in the, in the zone and start doing what they're meant to do and reflecting the image of God. Then people start to experience it. So, um, any comments before we look at some of those words, some of those verbs? Any thoughts? No? Okay. Right, well, I'll think of a better question then next time. Rather than an open question like that. I think it's really exciting. Okay, you think it's exciting? I do. Good, good. Right, we'll look at some words now. Um, now the words that I mentioned, just to, um, just because I, they, they apply to us. There's, you've got all this creating that's going on. We'll just assume God's made everything, right? And then it gets to day six. <clears throat> God bless them. Twenty-eight. This is male and female. God says them be fruitful and multiply. So that's inbuilt into us as well. We can't help it. It doesn't mean just. Obviously, it means having babies and whatever, but it's like a fruitfulness. There's something about multiplication that is built into us. And this is what creativity does. It just keeps on, it keeps on flowing because God has said be fruitful to humankind. Um, Fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Um, just this stuff about subduing that uh, mentioned it earlier that we are absolutely called to put pressure on stuff. Because we're broken, we make mistakes on this, and we put pressure on people that we shouldn't put on. Uh, but there is a certain pressure that is needed to be put on us. So if, you're, if you work with people, then you're part of your creativity is, how do I bring the right amount of creative pressure. The, the reason I say creative pressure is I read um, 
There was a guy who was in charge of Pfizer. You know, actually, we all know about Pfizer. Don't we? Uh, yeah, because we've got it running through our veins. Um, the guy. This is years ago. I, I read about it. the guy who was in charge of Pfizer. He was, he was talking about um, being a cultural architect, which was a phrase I was really interested in years ago. Um, but he, he used this phrase, creative pressure. I just found it really helpful. Because I know I need creative pressure put on me to get the best out of me. Yeah? So if, um, you know, if, we, if we're going to do the, I don't know, think of your household. Um, if you, assuming you live, well, even if you live on your own, but assuming you live with other people, it might be family, it might just kind of be people sharing hats, whatever. Um, if no one puts creative pressure on the house, then everything, then rubbish piles up, washing up piles up, it gets stinky, uh, it gets awful. Someone needs to bring a bit of creative pressure and say, this is not a bad thing, and say, who's going to do the washing up? Because actually, if we do the washing up, we're going to have clean plates for the next meal. It's a normal thing. To actually bring some pressure onto a people environment is a really good thing. And it's what, and some people are really great managers, aren't they? Great inspirers. They're really, really good at this. Other people, when they put the pressure on, it's like, it goes wrong. But you know, we need it. Part of our creativity is, how do I put the right pressure on my husband, <laughs> or wife, or whatever. How do I do it? How do I do it with a child, or with a parent? How do you do it with a parent? When you're kind of having to speak into their lives. Man, that's tricky. When they've been speaking into your life, and you've got to somehow begin to speak into their life and help shape them, put some creative pressure onto them, bring some subduing into them. It's really, really hard. God, show me how to do that. This is part, and when... When it's going well, when, I mean, Jesus and his mother, she was brilliant with him in that she, she clearly nursed him well. She, um, she kind of brought him up. There's that moment, though, later when he's in a room like this and she, she and the other kids are calling him out, saying, you've got to get out. Um, we need, you, you know, they're, they're annoyed with him. They think he's, he's out of his mind and whatever. Um, how does Jesus deal with that? He doesn't embarrass her in front of everyone. He doesn't say, uh, Mother, that's wrong. I'm the son of God. You've got to listen to me. What he does say is he looks at everyone and says, <clears throat> who's, my, who's my mother and who's my brother and my sister? So anyone who does the will of the father is my mother, my brothers, my sisters. He honours people. He's not dishonouring. He's having to somehow, in a, in a social environment, do some subduing. He's having to put some pressure on in order to get the right results. And then later on, he gives his mum away to John, doesn't he? Um, he's doing... He's, this is, this is subdu subduing. Subduing is... Yeah, it's, I made a joke about... Well, it's not a joke, because I actually believe that. Making a cup of tea is the height of subduing. So you make a cup of tea, you are subduing. And it helps me think about what is it? It's getting the best out of stuff, putting some pressure on. Creativity is about putting some pressure on. So you've got, um, you're, you draw, you're an illustrator. You've got some paper. You've got some lead in your pencil. You put some pressure on the paper. And in the way you're doing the pressure, then something amazing 
happens on the paper. It's not going to happen without some pressure on it, is it? And part of our seeking is show me the right pressure in my life to be creative. Show me the right amount of pressure. And in normal everyday life, not about being artists now, just being human beings, um, it's a really big deal. Because we've got to put pressure on. I cannot let my kids get away with stuff. I've got to put pressure on. I've got to put pressure on the dog. I can't let him get away with stuff. Well, I do, because he's cuddly. I've got to put pressure on. The right amount of pressure, not the wrong amount of pressure. Holy Spirit, help us to subdue really well. Because in the Bible, that word is then used for people subduing people. And it's absolutely horrible. It's just vicious. But it's there in the beginning. Go and subdue the earth. Which is... And we do it when we're gardening. You know, you've got this garden that's just completely brilliant. But it does need pruning. And it does need tilling and hoeing. And we need to get rid of the leaves. And we need to do this. We're not hurting the garden. In fact, <clears throat> we're going to make the garden really beautiful. People are going to see the garden and go, that is amazing. We subdue the wilderness. And what, um, basically in chapter 2, you've got, this, you've got the wilderness of the earth. God designs a garden and has subdued a particular garden. Places Adam and Eve in the middle of it. And he basically, he's basically saying, um, you have to go and cultivate and keep, but you've got this subduing and ruling that I've told you to do. They basically meant to, I think, just extend the garden so the, so the whole of the earth becomes God's garden. Not, not a garden that is just so neat and doesn't have any wildness. Of course, we, there's got to be a wildness about it. But somehow, sensitively, we're meant to be bringing pressure to bear on our earth to protect the earth and to get the best out of the earth. We're meant to be doing it. We're, you know, again, electricity is a brilliant thing, isn't it? And it comes out of creative pressure. And so we need engineers, we need scientists to do this in a really godly way. So um, how are you handling the pressure that you've got, the power that you've got? And then the other bit is ruling. Again, we get this wrong, because what happened in the fall, you'll notice that um, uh, immediately, Adam starts to rule over the woman. He's not meant to rule. It never says rule over people. It says rule over the, these animals but um, he's then applying a horrible rule in wrong ways but ruling in itself is not a bad thing it's a really good thing sovereignty, governance, it's a really really great thing and um, ruling like I said earlier, ordering um, categorising you just look at chapter 1 and you see it appraising putting this there and that there, this fits with this this fits with this going to um, make sure that these orders are here and these orders are here um, the hosts of heaven means the or literally means the orders of heaven. When you come, at, the Lord of hosts means the Lord of orders, because it's like these armies. It's like all these orders. God is, God would be. I mean, I hate to say this because I'm not. I don't run a council. I don't want to run a council. God would be brilliant at running a county council, because it's all about orders, isn't it? It's all about everywhere everyone fits. He'd be brilliant at that, and it demands this kind of creativity of reflecting ordering like God. So if your work is with people in that sort of way, God wants you to rule really well and order really well. So, so we bring order where there is, well, after the fall, where there's disorder, but we bring order to what some scholars call non-order, which is that element of, or unorder, um, the, the, the element where stuff is not bad, 
It's just not got the ordering yet that it could have to make it really better. It's not bad, it's good. God says it's good. But what about if I order this in such a way, oh right, it's now really good. And you, you know that. You know that even looking in a, in a room, some people are really brilliant in a room, aren't they? They go, you know, you go, oh, I've got this nice room. What they do is they just put the cushions here and here and here and here. And they do this, put a lamp there, and you go, oh my goodness, my room isn't amazing. What have you done? It's because they just, it wasn't, it wasn't chaotic. It was fine. But they came in and ordered something that was slightly non-ordered. And now, wow, it's brilliant. I love being here. I love it. And now people who sit in that room really love it. If that's, if that's you and you're, you just there's something about home life that you get and people come into your home and feel comfortable, this, is, this reflects the kingdom of heaven. It, being in the home and the bringing order into people's non-order or even to people's disorder is a real gift from God. Um, so knowing how to do that. You, uh, Ness, you said that you've been on to a meal with 15, well Richard had been to a meal with 15 courses. Okay. So that is that's very different from just, hey, come on, everyone, pile in, and uh, we've got some we've got some pasta bake, and you know, blah 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 blah, which is fine and enjoyable. There's something differently enjoyable about some people coming hours upon hours upon hours of eating and just giving you food. That's like, oh, this is really really nice. I'd say there's something about the the order and non-order mixing together, which I really really love. I love it when it's a bit of both. I love it when you're outside, there's a table outside, um, you, you all bring some food, there's some drink. It's not like really, really posh, it's just you and some friends. It's, it's sort of a, a lovely chaos and it's a lovely order. Someone's brought this food, someone's brought that. You're eating, you're drinking with one another. It's really relaxed. The dog's there, it's kind of... Um, this is good. This is really good. And I think what we've got on, in chapter one and chapter two is, is actually this. It's got, it's great. There's a load of ordering. There's a load of non-order. There's things that haven't yet been ordered that could be ordered. Uh, we're managing to order over the disorder. That's really good. We're being polite. We're being respectful. We're enjoying one another's company. Uh, we're looking after our souls in this. Oh, that is heaven, isn't it? I think that probably for me the closest picture of heaven is a bunch of people sitting outside in, a, in the warmth, uh, eating together. I just love it. I just love that idea. It's really, really good. And then in, um, so just remember these rulers subdue because what I want to ask you is where are you ruling and you're enjoying it and where are you subduing and you're enjoying it? That's going to be the question and also cultivating and keeping. We'll just go on to cultivate and keep. So in chapter two, uh, God's uh, got them in the garden. And he says, uh, right, um, he put them in the garden to cultivate it and keep it. Cultivate it means to serve it. To work it so that it flourishes. Not so that you, Adam and Eve, necessarily, you will flourish because you're going to really enjoy it. But you've got to trust that the work you put in, you will enjoy it. You might not know at the moment. But if you serve, you will then reap the reward of your serving. That's cultivating and um, if you serve me, if you worship me, says God, you will reap the... The reason God wants us to worship is not because he wants our, he needs our worship. He's absolutely fine without anyone worshiping him. He's absolutely secure and cool. It's because we will get blessed out of our socks. It will do us the world of good, mentally, physically, spiritually, 
It's kind of, I think, probably the best thing for a human being to do is to worship God. It's the best therapy. It's the best thing. Um, that's why. So serve me. Oh, I don't want to serve you, God. I hate you. You're just a big bad God. I don't want to serve you. I want to serve myself. Serve me. And when you serve me, oh, right. Yeah, that's working now. That's working. So when we're in our creativity, when we're serving what we're handling, or when we're serving those we are wanting to create for, that attitude, actually, it will come back to us. And it will be incredible. Now, we're not doing it just simply to be blessed ourselves, because that's kind of a selfish thing, and then you miss out on other people enjoying it. You're doing it, you're genuinely serving, you want them to enjoy it. Wow, this is brilliant, 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 brilliant. Oh my goodness, I feel fantastic. What's that in me? Oh, that is really good. That's worship. That's why cultivating, working and worshipping and serving are all the same word, because God has designed us in this way that when we serve other people, or when we worship him, or when we serve the earth itself, it's really good for us. And then keeping is this protecting word, where we're guarding, keeping, cherishing, is probably a good understanding of it, um, where you, you cherish something, like a, well, it might be like a 1950s aeroplane, you cherish your, your old car, you cherish your ornaments, you cherish the things you've collected, your collection of whatever. You cherish it, you look after it. Um, you look at it, oh, I really like that. You cherish these photographs. You're giving something of yourself, and it's slightly obsessive, but there's some, we're all obsessive about something, aren't we? It's obsessive about, oh, I love this here. And actually, that again is when we're guarding and protecting and honouring something like that, then actually it is protected, whether it's a, a physical thing or whether it's an animate thing, it, it is protected, whether it feels it or not, quite how the earth, you know, how do we say rocks feel stuff, but you know, honestly, we've got to be, we have to look after the planet. And somehow at some level we know the rocks praise God. So therefore the rocks will, at some weird, I don't understand level, appreciate our serving and our keeping of that, our keeping of the planet. It will appreciate us as priests keeping it. So what are you keeping? What do you keep? What do you cherish? Because um, again, you put this into practice, and when we do that, the garden metaphorically is extended, and God walks in the garden, and his presence is there, i.e. the kingdom of heaven is there. These are all, basically, these are all ways, without having to put on a really big evangelistic rally, these are all ways of extending the kingdom of heaven. Arguably more fun than putting on an evangelistic rally, actually. Um, doing the stuff we do, living like we live, using the gifts we've got, using them enjoyably, kingdom of heaven comes, and people come close to God, and all we then have to do is then just chat to them, nudge them, pray for them, and introduce them to Jesus. I think this is all incredibly evangelistic. So, um, four words I would like from different ones of you. Just tell us how you rule, how you subdue, or how you cultivate, or how you keep. One of those words. Just tell us. Give us, a, give us all an example of when you're living like this. What's that? Planning lessons. Plan oh, so you're a teacher. Yeah. Go on, explain a bit more. What, what goes on when you're playing lessons? Um, so, kind of thinking like what English do they need to know, um, as well as like what of our culture do they need to. I teach asylum seekers, 
Um, so yeah, kind of thinking like, what what of our culture do they need to know? What of life skills do they need to know? What English words, um, concepts, and like, um, I don't know, stuff that will benefit their well-being, and then kind of tying that into a lesson in a way that can like engage them and that they can understand, even though they don't speak the same language. Brilliant. Like, and you said, it's interesting because you said planning the lessons, obviously you like delivering the lessons, but you said planning the lessons. Yeah, delivering them is my favourite bit, but actually but, I can see from what you said that planning it is like where a lot of the creativity happens. Okay, yeah. And yeah. then the filling, because when I'm on my feet I quite often then come up with more ideas do you? teaching yeah. and like change it or do something I wasn't planning to do and I guess that's the filling, yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's like the forming and the filling. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's a great example. Great. What a great work you do as well. Excellent, excellent, yeah, yeah. Anyone else? I'm challenged by the idea of um, creative pressure. So I work in secondary schools, so just the right amount of pressure to enable learning. Right. But I also work with Japanese kids who very often are stressed, anxious, angry about the idea of learning, and unable to cope with some other way. So that, that just the right amount, that yeah, yeah. idea of backing off, pressing, Supporting, guiding, it's a, it, I've read that idea of cultivating it in my work. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Sense of how to approach it. We all get that because we've all been in high school. So we all know what it is to have too much pressure or not enough pressure. That's really fascinating, actually. That, that Yeah, that. And then the, you're dealing with people. Yeah. I mean, that's what could be more glorious than actually dealing with children and cultivating them with the right amount of that. It's very holy. Putting it like that is a very holy. It's already broken. I want to break the law. Yeah. 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 So you're 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 tenderly caring for them, but you know you've got to put some pressure on them because otherwise they're not gonna they're not gonna flourish. It's a really good example, isn't it, of creative pressure? And yeah, what a what a holy kind of calling to be doing that. This is people's lives, isn't it? Here. Um, but you're made in the image of God and the spirit of God is in you so as you listen out to him I think he will tell you about he will inform you about the, the, the pressing in the, the coming back and coming out with, with ways that you just well you probably do it intuitively anyway but just keep, keep asking him keep inviting him into that yeah it's a great example thank you anyone else? Martin, I don't know if this is stretching the analogy, but I'm just wondering whether any kind of thinking could be described as subduing. Any kind of thinking? Yeah, go on. Go on, say, explain. So, like, so there's greater pressure happening in your mind to do any kind of thinking, yeah. analysis, planning, um, reflecting, organising, because you've got some sort of initiative, idea, vision, goal, value, and then you've got to apply some neural processes yeah. inside your head to produce a thought that's, that means something to mm -hmm. you or achieve something. And so you do that all, all the time. That's great. Wow. So we're talking, we're, yeah, we're, we're not even at the stage of using our hands here, are we? We're at the stage of all this cognitive stuff. And in there, we are, you'll have probably done this. I know I have done this where I have had to rule over my thoughts. Either because there's, they're, they're chaotic and I, I, 
come on, rule them in. We're told to take our thoughts captive in the Bible, aren't we? Or there are times when I want, I, I know there's something more, there's something better. And I haven't quite got it yet. And I'm, I'm going to go, I might be praying or I might just be seeking for that. Oh, what's the idea? There's something better there and I'm inquiring after it. So yeah, to say it starts there. And how helpful, we were told about the word metanoia this morning, um, that when we're talking about when the kingdom of heaven comes, actually, even therefore Jesus is saying, it's, it's actually starting here. That's where it's starting. Everything else is going to follow on. But that's really good because the repentance, which is the changing of our mind, the submitting of our minds to Christ, the allowing God to come and fill our minds, to renew our minds, all that stuff that we read about in the New Testament, then will mean we can act as human beings that are pure. Can't we? Whatever we're doing, whether it's a job or it's a hobby or whatever, but starting there. So maybe remembering to take, take every captive they take every thought captive and do that even more prayerfully than we have done before. Rule over my thoughts. Give me my give me creativity, God. I'm going to do this. Come and fill my thinking um, when I'm asleep. Come and fill me when I'm asleep. Yeah? Um, I just listened to a Bill Johnson podcast last week about renewing your mind. And it was really relevant to me because... He was using this phrase about like the accuser of the brethren, because often I've been in my various phases of life a creative person who has done things, initiated things, da, 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 but there's always been the accuser coming in, and I think that is relevant to not letting go of that creativity just because things come at you from outside. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he was saying like that's not what God says to you. Yeah, so if the accuser comes and shuts us down and, and we go, oh gosh, that's from the enemy, I'm, I will shut down, then we're also shutting down the very possibility of hearing from the Holy Spirit yeah. and pursuing him. So fear of the accuser yeah. can actually stop us from being more fulfilled as a human. It's a very clever technique from the enemy, isn't it? Yeah. To actually accuse us and then our conscience goes, oh gosh, don't that. I, won't want, I won't have anything. You know, so, so I know when I was growing up thinking of, I'd like to go to theatre, <clears throat> there were people around me who were going, oh, you know, it's a, not a good world, Martin, you're a good Christian boy. You shouldn't go to theatre. You should. And actually, I was in a great church, and the, the impetus was get stuck into church planting, get into evangelism. So, good Christian boy, yeah, I'll do that. Some of it will have been a fear of, yeah, because this other stuff, mm, I don't want to go wrong in my life, I don't want to do wrong things. Maybe I shouldn't be so involved in the theatre because it's more of a minefield of a place. And I'll go for the not you know the church is all pure and holy, isn't it? As I know, um, I'll go to church and get involved in that. But I think some of my motivation was fear. It was a call as well. I think some of it was fear. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah. Just a question on the back of that. If that is the case in your scenario, how do you push through that and get to the sort of sweet spot of? Fully living out your potential, or being fully alive in what you're doing, even though it's a, it's a presence that's very much real and there. You mean the, the like the accusing voices? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm saying that whether that be just thoughts or actually people. Stuff that's around. Yeah, or yeah, just yeah. things that are coming up. How would you say you make the most of that and actually push through it without it 
Yeah, yeah. I would say there's um, I got this little. It's a pastoral mantra that I use really, <clears throat> um, and it's grace, truth, and time. And it's um, there's a, a a parable of a fig tree where someone says, oh, there's um, ah, oh, the fig tree's died, and uh, the owner goes, well, just give it. Or someone goes, no, just give it a, give it a bit more time. Just dig round it and manure it, whatever. Give it some time, uh, and then we'll see if actually it's dead. And so what I would say is, first of all, don't go the, with all the confusion, don't go the condemnation route, go the grace route. That actually there is grace for me. That's the first thing, is uh, Jesus loves me, and as he fills me with his spirit, I am more likely as a spiritual Christian to follow the impulse of the spirit than I am of my flesh as a Christian. I'm more likely, and assume that, I know we do give in to the enemy, but it's a lie of the enemy to say we're more likely to give in to the enemy. Because I'm not. I'm a new creation. Uh, I love Jesus. I know his voice. I want to serve him. I'm actually quite likely to follow Jesus. So grace is the first thing. And so you just wash yourself in grace going, there's no condemnation. I'm free in God to make any choice that I want to make in him. And then the truth one is, but there's all this stuff. God, um, I'm looking in the Bible now for your truth to come and deal with all these thoughts, all these pressures, all this stuff in culture, whatever the stuff is around that is bewildering me. I really need your truth because uh, the truth will set me free. And so it's saying, God, speak to me. And I'd say being very um, open to the word of God, uh, people prophesying into your life. Um, speak truth into my life because I'm, I'm full of grace, so it's going to be okay. Speak truth. And then um, don't expect it. And then just go, and this is a process. Give yourself some time over it. I, this may go right, it may not quite go right. I'll try this. Ah, I kind of messed up a bit there, but don't worry. Give it some time because I'm going to grow and mature as a follower of Jesus. He's put this ambition in me or his yearning in me. I'm full of grace. I'm getting the truth in. And I will get there. I will get free and I will get into the right place. And God will use me in the place, that, the dreams that he's put on my heart. He will use me. Seems a long way. I won't get there immediately, but that's, that's cool. He's... I'm, I'm going to give myself time in this one. So I say that to, I speak that into myself. I go, grace, truth, and time, Martin, or I speak to other people. Give yourself, don't expect the works straight away, but grow into this. And um, I said, yeah, I'm still growing into it, actually. Uh, at my, I think I'm at a stage of my life now where I'm going, oh, okay, God, maybe I've learned, maybe I'm growing into a place where I could be doing things for you or reflecting you that I couldn't do 20 years ago. But it's taken all this time. I've got a load more truth in. So that's my... Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's more of a question, I guess. So especially when you think about through the lens of justice and righteousness, um, what, what is the kind of link between the individual journey and the communal society journey expression of creativity to put things right that are not right. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Wow. Mm -hmm. Gosh. That's like a massive question, isn't it? I'm, I'm really into that. I'm really into the whole justice and righteousness thing. I'm tracking it in, in the Old Testament and the New Testament because it, yeah, I'm really into it. And it is communal. It absolutely is. So um, the reason why we, the reason why we might start with ourselves is because that's the that's the person we can, I, we can deal with, we've got authority over. If I start with myself in these things, it's no good, for instance, is it, um, 
being all justice, 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 if you're not just, if you're not actually putting practice in your own heart. It's got to come out of your own experience. So I know that if I care about certain injustices, or I say I care about them, I need to look in my heart to see if I really do care about them, actually. Do I really care? Or is it just a, yeah, that, but not actually in me. Look at, look at me in here. I'm, I'm not sorted out at all. So I would say the reason why we start with ourselves is in order to, um, God, make my heart pure and make my heart right. But, me, but then to, to know absolutely, me as an individual, I'm not going to make a difference unless I do it with other people. I'm just not. I've got, this, is a, this is a together thing, which is, you know, Jesus pulls together people, doesn't he, in minimums and twos. But, you know, he's, he's getting together people. You have to do it with other people. And I wonder if that is because it just means we submit. You know, and particularly when you're on a justice thing, what the enemy, this is going back to the enemy in us, he gets us kind of proud that we're on a justice thing and then we don't submit. And then our, our, our justice, well, with Moses, it killed someone. Because it was like in him, individually, <clears throat> and he kills someone because he's not submitted into relationship. And when he submits into relationship, you can see how hard it is. It just takes him forever. He's always going, oh, man, all these people got us. Oh. He's talking about righteousness the whole time and people the whole time. But God's going, that's just how it is. Don't go back to the old way where you might have a strong justice gene because what happens if you're on your own in it, you'll condemn people. Just unfortunately, that's how the enemy works it. But if you submit it to other people, you've got to work out the justice with people first. Then what comes out is strong, but it's kind of sweet and practised even. Because you're practising the justice, because it's spiritual, isn't it? You're putting it to practice, and it's the practice of the discovery that pours out, rather than someone ranting. They might be true, might be absolutely right what they say, but because they're not in practice, it's a rant, and it, it, it hurts people, it pressure. And then people react against it, oh, I'm not doing that. And then that's worse, because you want them to, do, you know, they're going, they're then reacting against you, and then it's like a nightmare, whatever. Somehow we want to practice our justice and righteousness with other people as we're doing it in our own souls. And then we invite people into the community of that. And that sp- I think that spreads, actually. So I would say it's communal, but I've got to get my heart sorted so I submit to other people. Yeah. But it's a good one. I think, this, I think um, it's, it's one, of the, one of the good things about the disaster that is around in our earth at the moment and with humanity, which is just so bad, isn't it? Is there is a massive rise of a keenness for justice. I'm sure this is the Holy Spirit who's doing this. It's just a, you know, okay, so a load of people don't want the church, they don't want God, but they do want justice, which is evidence of the kingdom. They do want that aspect of the kingdom of heaven. Praise God for him doing that around the earth at the moment, particularly with a younger generation crying out for justice, to set things right. So... I think you're onto, so just even talking about those things, I think you're onto it, and just keep praying into them and keep holding it before God, because this is, I think this is heart for our planet at the moment, yeah. Anything else? We've got to go, haven't we? Because look at the time, it's tea time, surely. Um, I'll, let me pray.
Uh, God, I thank you that you've made us in your image and your likeness. It's wonderful. It's such, a, such an honour. And when we think about it, we realise that there's all sorts of things we do, we feel, we think that reflect you. And you know that we, we're a corrupted image at times and a marred image, but there's so much that we love being. We love being human in so many ways. And we just thank you, God, for making us human. We thank you for this privilege. It's, it's wonderful, Lord, to be made in your image. And then an extra thank you to say thank you for putting your Holy Spirit in us so that um, the corrupted bit can be redeemed, so that we can reflect you with real glory, so that we can contribute into building this temple here on the earth, extending the garden in such a way that you will be among us so beautifully, dwelling with mankind. And so I pray, Lord, for everyone here that in, in all the things we're doing and thinking, the stuff that we're about, the ordinary everyday lives that we're leading, I pray that you'd open our eyes to the glory of your kingdom in every action, in every thought, in every word that we might be doing. And I pray that you would sanctify all that so that we can see how holy and how priestly this life is that you're calling us to. And I pray that as we do it, as redeemed people, we would bring redemption to the stuff of the earth, to the people, to society, to whatever it is, wherever we are, Lord. I pray that um, because you're sanctifying us and our activities, that we would bring redemption, that we would bring in the kingdom of heaven because of the way we're living. Thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit dwelling inside us, fanning into flame, I pray now in the name of Jesus. Amen.